0: Among the uh, last years that I was the senior pastor of this church, I had the privilege of having a, an associate pastor uh, come right out of seminary, uh, Charlie Reeb, and at that same time, Alex Shanks was graduating from Florida Southern College, and he came in and served a year as a, an, a intern as, as a pastoral intern. It was the second time we had had a pastoral intern, and it was before he was going to seminary and uh, You need to know that uh, they all had nicknames now i don't know where they got those nicknames, but my nickname they gave me was big Daddy now i don't know if that's called up you know, but then <clears throat> uh, charlie was uh, Charlie was Batman and Alex was the boy wonder. And uh, just how much of a boy was he? Well, we found a picture of him when he was here. So I want you to see this. <laughs> Somebody said, Alex is going to be mad if you show that picture. I said, who cares? <laughs> But now Alex is the uh, assistant to the bishop and serves in that role in an incredibly effective way. And uh, he goes here to church. He and his family, his his, uh, daughter sang a solo at the 930 service this morning. So it's really a blessing to have Alex still in our family, still a part of our church. And we welcome him. Alex, come preach for us. We need your word.
1: Really thought I'd gotten rid of all those pictures, but I I guess not. Uh, Before I read the scripture passage, I just want to say thank you to Riley for his faithful ministry here among us. Uh, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for Riley and his uh, friendship and his mentorship in my life. And I know all of us have been blessed, haven't we, by his preaching over these last many months. So thank you, Riley. I also want to say how excited I am that Charlie Reeve is coming back to be among us. I remember uh, when I was on staff here and he was the associate pastor uh, and those were great days in the life of this church. And Charlie's been a good friend to me on my very first day as a brand new pastor in my first appointment, Charlie called me uh, just to encourage me and to make me laugh. Uh, which is a gift of Charlie's. He's got a great humor. He's a gifted preacher. He's been called by God, and I'm excited. I know you are, for the leadership he will provide, for the care that he will give as our new senior pastor. Our scripture reading today is from Matthew, the 28th chapter, beginning with the 16th verse. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, And when they saw him, they worshipped and they doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to observe all that I have commanded you and know I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O God, pour out your Holy Spirit anew on us today and give us ears to hear and hearts that are open to the movement of your love and help me to get out of the way so that your way might be known, your love proclaimed. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. You ever think something's going to go one way and it goes another? I had kind of predetermined how I wanted to spend my time on this airplane flight last fall. I was really looking forward to some time of quiet, a chance just to reflect and prepare for the week ahead. As I sat down in my assigned aisle seat, there in the middle seat next to me was a mother with her young baby. I thought, this is not going to go well. I thought about changing seats, but the flight was full, the attendants were ready to take off, and then the pilot got on and said, uh, friends, we're going to go into some bad weather and you can expect some turbulence. And I thought, just my luck. But as we took off and went on our way, I was amazed at this child, who just sat there, comfortable, content, didn't make a fuss the entire time. Even as we went through the turbulence and everyone else was disturbed, this child remained quiet. It was one of the quiet, quietest plane rides I can remember. And so I just had to say something to the mom. I said, wow, your son is a very good passenger. She said, yeah, I know. This is the sixth time we've been on an airplane since he's been born. She later told me that her son, Gino, had been diagnosed with this rare disease and they had to go from the Tampa airport to the Memphis airport uh, to receive medical treatment there in Memphis. We had this marvelous conversation about healing and hope and life. And the whole time, Gino just sat there with this great smile that captivated me. At the end of the flight, I gave her my card and I said, if you ever need something, let me know. I I know Methodists in Memphis and those in the Tampa area. And ever since then, I've remembered Gino and his mom in my prayers. You see, God did for me what I could not do for myself that day. And through the gift of just sitting next to someone, totally changed my perspective and gave me new eyes to see the people around me. I'm so glad it didn't go as I expected. Who knows exactly what the disciples were expecting on that day, but they had gone to Galilee, to the mountain that Jesus had directed them. And the scripture says that they worshipped him and they doubted. Did you notice that? Right there, in the midst of the risen Christ, some of those apostles had some doubts. Their worship was mingled with doubt. The the sight of Christ did not remove all their uncertainties. They they wandered between adoration and, and indecision, between prayer and puzzlement. The good news about the God we worship is that doubt does not exclude you from this place. In fact, the very disciples of Jesus on this mountain worshipped and doubted. So if you come today with some questions about who God is and about what this all means, you are welcomed in this place. I know we often look down on people with doubts, but I believe doubt enables you to experience faith in a deeper way. And they must have talked about their doubt, otherwise it wouldn't be found in the gospel writer. So the gospel writer is saying, if you have doubt today, if you wonder, if you're a little uncertain, you're welcome. You see, doubt keeps you anchored to humility. And humility keeps you curious. And curiosity reminds you that this faith we practice is a mystery. And if you don't have some doubt in your life, you might become dogmatic. And I don't know about you, but I think the world needs less dogmatic people and more curious people. They worshipped and they doubted. And then here comes Jesus. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now go. Go. Make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to obey what I have commanded. And I am with you always. Even to the end of the age. Jesus gives them an assignment. How are we doing, church, with that assignment of Jesus? At the last service, this little teenager put up his hand and he goes, ah. We're doing okay. (laughs) Which is probably about right, isn't it? Reinhold Niebuhr, the great theologian who taught many years at Union Theological Seminary, wrote an interesting thing that happens in groups and organizations. He said you put any group together and after a while they will, uh, no matter what their initial purpose and reason for existing is, two things will happen. They will start becoming self-serving and self-protective. Left to their own devices, that drive for self-preservation will soon become more important than the original reason they were built to exist. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? You ever seen that? Years ago, a friend of mine, after he graduated from seminary, was a youth pastor And as he was working as a youth pastor, he noticed the need for a van for the church. And in those days, a van was a really big deal, unless you were Baptist and then you already had a fleet of vans ready to go. So my friend finally convinced the church to buy a van. The leaders took the next six months debating and deciding over what kind of van it would be and exactly what it would take. And then when the van arrived, they did what Niebuhr said. They became protective of the van. They had so many stipulations and regulations that it was easier to walk to your destination, (laughs) even if it was hundreds of miles away, than to use that van. They didn't want the Boy Scouts to use it because they might scratch the paint when they pulled off the side of the pavement. I mean, it was almost as if, my friend said, they wanted to hang the van up and put a little glass case around it and a plaque that says, Looks how great we are as a church, we've got a van. Because they had become about protection rather than the assignment. Or think about the great company IBM, who started out uh, with this great share of all these wonderful things they were learning. But after a while, if you studied them, the books say that they became a little bit more about building the big corporate office, about taking care of everybody inside the institution, about self-preservation and self-protection, forgetting why they existed. You ever seen that? How are we doing, church, With the assignment Jesus gave on the mountain to go and make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey what I've commanded. You know, it would be selfish not to share something good you've been given. I mean, if you go to a really good restaurant here in Lakeland, don't you want to tell your friends about it? Or if you're watching some new show on Netflix or Hulu, don't you want to tell your coworkers about it? Why is it so much easier for us to talk about what restaurants we enjoy and what shows we watch than it is about what God has done in our life lately? How much more important is what God is doing in our lives? You see, I think we've forgotten what our assignment is. In my first appointment, uh, there were three ministers who were senior to me. And I would watch them uh, go to all these church meetings. And I began to think that that was the assignment. And I thought, you know, one day if I do everything right, I'll get to go to as many meetings as they do. (laughs) Here's the truth. The meetings are not the assignment. And as important as it is, for people to gather in rooms and make decisions. If at any point they forget what the assignment is, we have lost our way. The assignment, Jesus says, is about people. To see all the people. The people all around us, right here in this city, who are desperate to experience God's love. To go into this community and to share God's love, that is our assignment. And yet we often forget it. I don't know what exactly that is. Some of it is probably our fear, isn't it? You know, if I asked you to come up here this morning and, you know, share a few words complete with references to Scripture about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, you might get a little nervous, right? Some of you, your palms are sweating just thinking about it, right? But why is that? All we're asking you to do, Jesus said, is to tell the story of the difference God has made in your life. To share some of your strength, hope, and experience with other people. And when you do that, God will give you the words to say, God's spirit will enliven you to say and do things you can't do on your own. Remember, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. Now go and make disciples. The truth is, some of this is just about our readiness and our willingness to do something that's just a little bit out of our comfort zone. 1 Peter 3.15 says, always be prepared. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks about the reason for the hope that is within you. And so what's it going to take for us to get focused on this assignment? Well, the first step is probably us just owning this part of our identity believing that this is part of who God has called us to be. When someone comes into this room, what do they find? Do they find a group of people, warm-hearted, inviting, helping them find a place to sit, letting them know that they are loved? Do you notice when a new person comes in this room, and do you welcome them? I want to give you permission to do something. I give you permission to talk to the people on your pew. And if you're really bold, you can talk to the people in front of you and behind you. In fact, if you really want to get over-the-top radical, you could cross the aisle and talk to the people in the other section. Before you leave today, I invite you to go talk to someone who you don't know. Simply introduce yourself. I promise you, they'll be nice. They're in church, for goodness sake. You see, it starts right here, in this very room, how we treat one another, whether we talk to one another, whether we're compassionate to one another, whether we include one another. That gives us a contagious spirit that then sends us out into this world. And people will take note of the spirit in which you live your life. And they'll want to know what makes that person different. I want to be a part of that church. I'm not asking you to be Billy Graham. I'm just asking you to tell your story, Jesus says. To be open to the movement of God's love in your life. If this is going to happen, we have to live in hope And live as if there's a joy that exudes out of us. People are the assignment. And if you notice carefully, this isn't about some technique or some effort. It's about simply being more aware as you go about your life. Interestingly, the word there, go, and make disciples, go, is not the verb. Go is the assumption of the verb. It's the past participle, as we would like to say. It says, as you go, do these things. As you go, make disciples. As you go, love them. As you go, notice their name. As you go, serve them. All over Lakeland, in your neighborhood, in the grocery store where you shop, In the lake that you walk around, in the spaces that you inhabit, there are people desperate for love. Wanting to know, is there a church where I can be included? Is there a church that would welcome me with all my doubts and all my fears? And God is sending us, you and me. And every person you lock eyes on this week is an opportunity for you to share God's love. To bring a smile, to bring a gift of hope and light and joy to this world. You know, this this passage assumes that there's a church where someone might come and experience Christ. Cause it says, make disciples and baptize them. That's not something you do on your own. That's something we do as a church. Baptize them, teach them. You know, you have a golden opportunity to invite someone to church in the coming weeks. When you get a new pastor, that's an opportunity to simply invite someone. Say, hey, we got a new pastor at our church. You want to come? His name's Charlie. You should come hear him. Just think. What would happen if Charlie just noticed all these new people coming to church each Sunday that you've invited? And tell them that you'll stand out front and you'll wait till they come and you'll sit with them so that they know uh, what it's like to be around this campus. It's a golden opportunity to invite someone to come. Last week, we celebrated Pentecost. And the story says... That as they gathered in that room, the Spirit was upon them. The same Spirit of Pentecost lives in you. Jesus is saying, act like it. Go, and as you go, make disciples, spread God's love, and allow God to use you. And watch how God shows up. In places you don't expect him to. I mentioned earlier about Gino and his mom. So glad for that interaction. And if you remember, I mentioned that there was turbulence on that flight. And Gino wasn't phased by it. A few weeks ago, I read something from Reverend Cameron Trimble who said that when he was learning how to fly, his flight instructor told him, when you go into turbulence and you're the pilot, you need to learn something. If you tighten your grip, you will actually make the plane less stable. You will reduce the aerodynamics of the plane and you'll make the plane less safe, less steady. So remember, the instructor said, When the going gets rough, fly loose. That's what Jesus is saying to us from the mountain. Don't tighten your grip on the world we live in. Don't rest, control, and live all tight. Fly loose. Fly loose and go into this world and show God's love. Jesus invited the disciples to a whole new way of life, and he invites us to the same. As we go, we've got a story to tell, a joy to share, a love to display. Jesus is saying, fly loose. Go and be fully present in this world, knowing that everywhere you go, there is someone who is desperate to know God's love. Go and be swept up in the possibilities that come when our eyes are wide open. Go. And as you go, take Jesus with you. Isn't that what he said? I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You don't go alone. Jesus goes with you. Go, go, and take them, and let Jesus show up. May it be so. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us pray together. Oh God, we want a new assignment, and you've given it to us. So open our eyes that we might see The world around us has opportunities to display your love and your grace. Help us to fly loose, God, with your love showing us the way. And as we come to this table, give us food for the journey and sustenance for what you have given to us to do. In your name we pray. Amen. I'm so glad you've been here today for worship, and I hope you'll be back next week to hear Bishop Fannin preach. Go into this world, and as you go, know that God goes with you. Open your eyes to see all the people around us and share with them the love and grace you've experienced here. Go in peace. God going with you. Amen.